HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Item 13, an African food podcast, and I'm your host, Yom Tego. Every other week, we'll delve into the world of African food, including chefs, curators, and bloggers. Here's the show. So today I have with me Aiden Haggis, who is a, celebra- a celebrated host and food writer um, based in Canada, Toronto, um, whose work I discovered actually while I was moving to Toronto and have followed uh, very closely since then. Uh, welcome to the show, Hayden. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I know it's been a long time coming. We've been trying to get this in the books for a while. I'm glad we finally got to do this for the beginning of the year. And especially since um, we're going to be talking about, you know, the Black food experience and coming off of, I spent the holidays, I was telling you earlier, in, in, in Ghana with all of the year of return. I think this is actually a good episode to kick off the year and talking about diaspora experiences, especially when it's related to our food and our roots and how mm-hmm. um, all of that is connected. But first, I wanted to start with your personal story. Let us know who you are uh, and as much as you're comfortable sharing, like where did you grow up and sort of what were your early connections or memories with food or of food? Uh, sure. So I grew up in uh, Windsor, Ontario, which is a small city right at like the border um, to the U.S. It was right on the other side. And um, so it was cool. So I grew up like very much in Canada, but very close to the U.S. Mm-hmm. and spent a lot of time in the U.S. And um, I, my family had opened an Ethiopian restaurant. And uh, a lot of their clients or customers would come and cross the border to get a taste of like the Ethiopian food. And that's what I grew up um, around seeing my grandmother cooking, my uncles and aunts cooking and serving at the restaurant, as well as my dad. And um, just like always being surrounded by Ethiopian food and people who are like kind of hustling in the food space. Yeah. Um, so that I think that's what gave me the backdrop for uh what I do right now yeah and then so what was the actual you know you grew up in the re- I'm assuming you also helped out in, in the restaurant um I could or not at all no I was like seven I can't I can't find like I was in there uh, they, they, they owned it in the 90s and okay um, I was pretty young and then they ended up selling it um I think like in the early 2000s so okay. I, I was very very young okay. but I still have like very vivid memories of mm-hmm. it and um, 
my grandmother continued to sell. She sold injera, oh, um, yeah. the flatbread. Yeah. So she kind of had her own like operation out of her house. And uh, my uncles were her employees. <laughs> you know, so I, I just, I kind of was more of like an observer. Okay. And so then how do you go from that? So you started, you know, you grew up with your family restaurant and then that sort of was out of the picture for a while. How do you go from that to starting your platform, Black Feedy? Yeah, so um, I was, by this point, like I, I did, I studied something very like outside of the space, I studied sociology oh, in uh, okay. college. Okay. Yeah, and then um, I was doing like a fellowship program in Toronto that um, opened my eyes to entrepreneurship and just thinking differently about like career paths. And mm-hmm. um, at that same time, I I was celebrating a birthday like midway through the fellowship, and I had a very like horrible experience that just was was racist um where I felt that you know the staff didn't want my group there because we were a group of young black women and um it was a really upsetting experience and it made me question one why is this still happening you know in 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 Toronto a very diverse city and then two um why I never chose to go to restaurants like the restaurants my family owned I never chose to go to yeah, Ethiopian or other African or Caribbean restaurants. In fact, I kind of avoided it because, um, not because I didn't like the food, but a lot of the food is, is different. You eat with your hands, yeah. you know, strong spices, a lot of onions. And so you smell like the food afterwards. And, and because of that, I just felt this shame around eating my cultural food, which was, um, which is whack. <laughs> yeah, and that, I mean, I find that actually yeah. quite interesting yeah. because when, when, you know, when my friends and I talk about West African food experiences in particular in that same context, the, mm-hmm. the, I mean, I hesitate to use the word, but the shame, I guess, that, that we experience is more from the, like, the lack of customer service or just there's just a lot around the experience itself, not necessarily the food, but the experience itself mm-hmm. that um, prevents us or doesn't, makes us not want to, you know, patronize it as much or share it with people outside of our community, you know, and the conversations mm-hmm. that we have almost always come down to how do these Ethiopians do it? Like the Ethiopian, the Ethiopian restaurants, like everywhere and people are there eating with their hands and the service is typically great. But how, why can't like West African people get their act together? So that's, that's an interesting um, juxtaposition, I guess, of, of how we think about how our food is um, was shared with the rest of the world, I guess, in, in the context of the restaurant. But anyway, um, I interrupted you. So. No, no worries. It's something I think about too, because I, I agree with you. I love, I mean, I haven't tried enough different um, West African foods, but from the things that I have tried, like which are generally like from Senegal, Ghana, Nigeria, mm-hmm. and like Cote d'Ivoire and stuff, like it's it's really good. And it's also like you know Ethiopians, I think, are really good at um, showcasing you know the health benefits of like yeah. um, the different grains and stuff that they use, and the fact like the bread is fermented and. I think people understand like, oh, okay, if I go to an Ethiopian restaurant, I can have something that's gluten-free and vegan-friendly. 
and like this kind of like rich experience around like the yeah. coffee. Yeah, I was gonna say there's also the culture yeah. element, right? Just the fun. I mean, it's it's a different experience of whether it's eating with your hands in certain Ethiopian restaurants or like how you sit, and then the, like you said, the coffee experience too. I think I think there's an experience element or component that also makes it attractive, right? Yeah, there's like this richness that you get when you you know if if you are down for it and and go ahead and order the right. coffee ceremony and go ahead and like you know choose not to use a fork but i do think that there are similar or like there are also really amazing elements to dining and having west african food i just had um a senegalese chef prepare this like amazing meal for me in atlanta last week and i was like okay i got to know how to really eat um, <laughs> how to eat it you know like i i know how to eat Ethiopian food like i got that pretty down but like yeah. I need to understand how to eat Senegalese um I'm gonna butcher the it but it's like chapu gen and yeah yeah the version of jollof is what some people <laughs> will say it, exactly it's their version the original jollof and it was so good and he was showing me how to eat it and I was it was so like um uh what is it called like you you're able to kind of like get to know the guests that you're with better it was very communal, yeah. um, very delicious. The presentation was great. <laughs> and I thought, okay, well, why, why are, you know, this should be out in the mainstream media. Like, I'm not sure why there aren't more yeah. restaurants packed, you know? That's a good question. And, and so I guess just to clarify, not to say that we don't have cultural elements. I just think that Indians yeah. have done yeah. a better job of like selling, selling their culture through their food, right? I don't know what yeah. and how from a West African perspective, we can do that. And to some extent, I don't know if it's, if we tried, if we try to assimilate almost too much when we, when we present our food to the, to the detriment of showcasing our culture. Like, I, I really don't know, to be honest. I don't know. I know. I, I mean, some, I just want to find somebody who like does research on immigration patterns. Cause I feel like a part of the reason Ethiopian, um, there are so many Ethiopian restaurants and it's popular is maybe I'm assuming more of them have immigrated to the U.S. Yeah, and Canada, and like, you know, because and and every in a lot of cities you see like immigrants they open restaurants first because they can work for themselves. They have like you know the skills. They don't have to necessarily know the language as well, you know, and they can have their whole family involved. But yeah. I guess that's a podcast for another day, but it is something I'm very curious about. Yeah, Yeah, no, I think that's interesting. And the one person I know that's done a little bit more history, although he's pretty focused on West Africa, and I think you've actually much more interviewed him um, before, is Michael Michael Tweedy, who I feel like, yeah, yeah, but I feel like he's he's more focused on the West African history and probably also migration to to a certain extent. yeah and how it ties into the southern cuisine exactly Um, yeah 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 but I don't know that anyone has looked at the Ethiopian phenomena because I would be very interested to understand because I think it could be a good case study for other regions of the continent and how they present their food or you know share their food with in the diaspora um yeah but anyway, I, I lost my, we lost our train of thought. What were we talking about? Oh yeah, how, so how you started Black Foodie. So you had that experience in the restaurant, how you were treated. Um, yeah, so then I just decided like, hey, I'm going to change this. I want to learn more about the food I grew up on and just support Black-owned restaurants in general. And so I just 
started digging into, um, you know, like Google and finding different restaurants and, and sharing my experience on the social media platforms I already mm-hmm. had, Facebook and Instagram, and then, you know, gathered this into Black Foodie because I understood that there are lots of other people like me who are probably just as curious or maybe have more, you know, information than I do that I could share. And um, I, I started going to events where I would be able to like network and learn more and just sharing my experiences on, on the website. And um, from there, I grew a fairly large audience and, mm-hmm. and started hosting events for them as well. Because food is something you need to experience in person. You can read right. about it. You can like you know, <laughs> see a recipe and try it on your own. But I don't think there's, there's anything that beats like, you know, going in and tasting it for yourself or getting right. to connect with a chef. Because I always say, like, it's um, Instagram has also been really great for food, um, for food businesses and food bloggers in general. But I say once they crack the code of, like, even being able to smell that food, because sometimes you see pictures and it just doesn't do it justice. You have to actually, you know, be in the same room, taste the food um, to actually know, know what it's about. So you started hosting food events now I know of Injera and Chill and uh, Doubles versus Paddies which do you want to tell people what those two events are? and maybe after that let's let's tell people what Ethiopia because I I one of my really good friends is Ethiopian so I'm very familiar with Ethiopian food but just for the benefit of those listening also maybe we might want to dive into like Ethiopian food in general what it's about um, and the different components of of the cuisine Sure. So um, I've hosted several different types of events. I'm always interested in bringing people together for a good time around food too. Mm-hmm. So um, I've hosted everything from like really intimate dinners with um, private chefs to hosting uh, food competitions um, with a DJ and having a party vibe to it. Um, and that's something that you'd find at Endure and Chill, where we just focus on Ethiopian cuisine and Eritrean mm-hmm. cuisine. And then um, I have a, another event called Doubles vs. Patties, where we'd have like different Caribbean foods from Jamaica and from um, Trinidad. And uh, this year I'm focusing on kind of really branching out and doing something bigger. Um, so I'm really hoping to host a large event this summer that incorporates all of these different elements from West Africa to the Caribbean, to the South, to everywhere the African diaspora has gone. Um, and I'll hopefully be able to have updates for you in another podcast. That sounds good. We just got the, yeah. the preview to what's coming. And will this just, um, I know you don't want, you probably don't want to share too much, but will this be in Toronto? Just so. Yeah, for sure. It's going to be okay. in Toronto and then I'm going to be doing something later in the year in Atlanta. Okay. Oh, that's so, good to know. Yeah, I kind of just jumped back and forth, and um, I definitely, you know, have a strong, I think, American audience mm-hmm. as well as Canadian audience. So I want to be able to um, be cater to both crowds. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. and then so in terms of like hosting those, and I've done a few too. Like, could you speak then to your because of the broad audience you have? What are some of the I guess. Um, uh, let me. I, I don't. I don't want to do just the the worst part. So, what are the best? What are the best parts of hosting these food events? And then, what are the things in terms of challenges that you're learning as you put on these events? 
I think the best part is really seeing people get excited about the food and, you know, in advance posting about it and then seeing their reactions in person and seeing um, people just enjoy themselves and maybe try something they hadn't tried before or connect with a chef now that they could hire for later for catering. Um, so I think it's a combination. One, seeing the joy of people eating and having a good time and then mm-hmm. two, seeing other Black food entrepreneurs get put on and get opportunities from it. That's something that I, I really like to see. Okay, cool stuff. I think this is a good time to take a short break. And then when we come back, we'll go back to, because I forgot and you forgot, we'll go back to telling people what Ethiopian food is all about. Then we'll talk about mm-hmm. um, the Black food experience uh, in the diaspora. Because I can picture it actually when I was back home, we had an injera. You could call it an injera and chill too, <laughs> like an injera party. So, and maybe I might post a video oh. of that too um, online when we post this episode. Um, That's so, dope. Yeah. Um, we bought injera from someone, but then uh, my friend made most of everything else. So it was kind of cool wow. to do that. Okay. So we'll take a break and when we're back, we'll dive into so that people don't ask me later, what's injera? <laughs> like, I know what it is in my head, but. We have a lot of people that listen that are trying to learn more about African foods and so may not uh, have, have tried that. So we'll be right back. You're listening to Item 13, an African food podcast. We'll be right back. Before I forget, let's start with Ethiopian food. What uh, my personal experience has just been with injera, with dorowat and all the little like stews and vegetable um size and whatnot and i wonder sometimes if that's the main if that's what everyone eats across ethiopia or because you know people think because jollof has been <laughs> propagated so much like people think west african food is jollof so want mm-hmm. to get a sense of what um first of all what the staple foods of ethiopia are and then like what are some of the unexpected things that we may not know about ethiopian food that has not been shared as much. Okay. Um, so, sorry, I'm going to pause. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so you'd like me to give like an overview of what Ethiopian food is yes. and then also about like the lesser known foods. That right. Yes. Okay. okay. Great. So, um, yeah, the best way I can describe Ethiopian food is it's like a full experience. You eat with your hands. There are lots of different, you know, scents when you have, the coffee, there's incense that usually burns and you eat with your hands and you share the platter with, you know, your family and friends. So it's very much a communal full mm-hmm. experience. Um, for the most part, injera is eaten widely across the country, but not everywhere, which I learned recently. And um, injera is this fermented flatbread that is made with F grain that is native to Ethiopia and is, is you know, now like considered a superfood, it's really rich in iron, it's very healthy, and it's gluten-free. So um, that's just a natural part of the Ethiopian diet. And uh, now it's popular and used in other products, but its main, you know, purpose was for injera bread in Ethiopia. And um, that takes a few days to make, it's fermented. So Ethiopian food can be labor-intensive, but it's definitely worth it. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Usually, it's, you know, prepared on a platter and there are different stews that are placed on top there's um this culture of fasting in ethiopia that's um connected to the orthodox faith um orthodox christian faith where um leading up to certain holidays 
and uh, on certain days of the week, people fast, and that's just them excluding um, meat and dairy from their diet on oh, Wednesdays, Fridays, yeah, and then months leading up to certain like religious holidays. So um, for the most part, you, you've got a lot of different vegan options in Ethiopia yeah. that you wouldn't find in other you know cuisines, and I think that's what makes it very popular here in the West. Um, that it's really really delicious food you don't feel like you know like all you get is a salad yeah um, but, it, but it is completely vegan and like even people when I was there that don't seem very religious like still um if they're orthodox christian a lot of them will still um you know follow that and and remain fasting on the certain days that they're supposed to fast um and that's that's a great thing so if you ever go to Ethiopia you can get like a vegan latte have a vegan macchiato oh, wow. you can have a vegan tiramisu yeah you can they won't call it vegan they're gonna call it fasting right. yeah you know <laughs> fasting but that's something I think that's really unique about Ethiopia that you don't find in many other places well, that's, um no, I yeah. think that's so cool and that's the opportunity there too I think um uh with African food in general because a lot of our fruits and grains are you know gluten-free they're protein rich and this opportunity mm-hmm. when I, when I think about, so, I mean, you know, obviously that I do some work that's similar to you, but, and as I mm-hmm. think about how I'm going to evolve in, in this space, I think about how food entrepreneurs can um, take advantage of trends here to yeah. create like economic opportunities. Right. And one of these things I think about is movements around vegan and gluten-free and how some, those are naturally occurring foods within our cuisine and how do people, sort of position themselves to take advantage of, of that. And that's something that I think about a lot, actually. I, I, I don't have answers yet, but it's something that I, I, uh, I, I think about quite a bit. So, so that's I did not know that about um, that Ethiopian culture. And, and I knew about TEF um, and its, its attributes, but did not realize, you know, the stuff about fasting and how that translates into vegan, uh, primarily vegan food in Ethiopia. So that's cool, actually. Yeah, I think it'll explain a lot as to why there's so many like options, you know, the next time you go to an Ethiopian restaurant. But um, the other thing that I think is interesting is I I recently went to Ethiopia in October Mm -hmm. and September for um, in a partnership with Ethiopian Airlines. And I got to visit a lot of um, sort of like more remote areas of Ethiopia and go to different villages that I had never been, be- I had traveled throughout Ethiopia, but I had never been to like this side of Ethiopia. Cause okay. I mean, I think like a lot of diaspora can understand, like usually when you go back home, you like, you stay with your family, yeah. you go to your, your, you know, your family's ethnic yeah. region, your, your ethnic group. But I got to experience many different ethnicities. And um, I found that like many of the places I went to, they, Injera was not a part of the, the diet. Um, they had other, yeah, they had their own foods that they prepared. And moringa was a huge part of the diet in oh. the South. Um, and sorghum grain. And like, everybody seemed very healthy. And then I just went on this whole, like, you know, dive into what moringa is and the health benefits. And super interesting. Um, another thing that you will find in Ethiopia, if you're, you know, really into food, is there's um, these trees. They call it like false banana. <laughs> okay. I can't remember. <laughs> yeah, it looks like because it looks like a banana tree, but it doesn't actually produce fruit in that mm-hmm. way. But um, people use the root; they they um, scrape 
the fibers from the root and they prepare their own fermented flatbread from it. They oh, wow. um, bury it under the ground. Yeah. And it's, it's a delicacy. Like if you ever go to an Ethiopian wedding, you'll find chitfo and kocho, which is like a raw meat dish prepared with butter. And they use this fermented bread to eat it with instead of injera. Oh, and um, it is interesting. I mean, it's a, it's an acquired taste. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't like it. <laughs> I don't like it. Most of my friends who grew up here don't like it because we didn't grow up eating it. Yeah. Um, but um, when I tried it there, I found it didn't have the same kind of funky taste mm. that I was used to <laughs> in Canada. Yeah. But, um, but anyways, super interesting that if you look into false banana trees, you'll see that there are different health benefits from that as well. And the, the fermenting process is like just like a natural part of a lot of the ways that we prepare food. And now everybody's into fermented food. So yeah, there are all these things that are like health trends now that are just a natural part of African, like the way Africans prepare food. Yeah. That I'm like, you know, I'm curious about. That is so, oh my God, that's so interesting. And that must have been so dope too, actually, just to be able to do that, I think. Because um, I don't think we have enough documentation of the diff- like food that is not in a mainstream, right? Um, and I think that there's, there's hidden germs that we, you know, I don't know if we've lost culturally um, because more and more people are living in cities. Um, mm-hmm. But there's probably a lot more that can be done in terms of exploring and how that can be, can be uh, yeah. shared with the rest I, of the world, I guess. I have more things I want to share. I just couldn't, I got deleted <laughs> off my Instagram because people dress differently there. You know what I mean? So a lot of like, they might have their chest bare or, you know, that kind of stuff. Oh, so okay. Yeah, you could not. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's I, too I bad. I know. I'm going to try to see if I can edit it in a way that is, you know, <laughs> respectful, yeah. you know, and showcases it. Cause that, that is the way that they dress and that is their, like, that is the norm. Right. So it wasn't like, you know, prying into it. But um, I do feel like my major takeaway was just like flavor, like what determines flavor? Because I found that when I was there, I went into certain villages and I asked them like, Hey, can you, can you just teach me what you cook? You know, mm-hmm. and I had a, a translator translate for me. And I found that there was like very little seasoning or, you know, yeah. um, spices that are prepared. It's just literally sorghum, water, and moringa. And that is it, like completely unprocessed, completely like not, you know, like no additives, nothing. That was just, that was the only thing they ate alongside like sometimes some meat that they would um yeah it makes me wonder how we develop again like how we develop and uh, you know our flavor palettes and how you know certain mm-hmm. textures we get used to are okay with versus not also interesting I mean there's so much to and I mean I'm probably preaching to the choir but there's so much to explore like with food and history and culture um, but I feel like for a lot of us, we've only scratched the surface, you know? I agree with you. Yeah. There's so much. I want, I want to like find a researcher, like a scientist, something <laughs> to like help me explain how taste works and how we develop yeah, our taste. Just, all of that. There's just so much to do. Um, and I guess one of the things I wanted to ask you too, was just based on the work you've done, cause you, you know, you've, you look at it from the African perspective and then from the Black Canadian perspective and then you also done some work because 
um, Canada or Toronto in particular has a huge Caribbean population. You also mm-hmm. cater to that. And one wanted to get your thoughts on what you think overall the black food experience is like in the diaspora what people are looking for in a, in a black food experience and then if there are similarities across those three buckets i guess and differences that you've seen as you've done the work that you do um i've seen so much it's hard to like you know like make right. <laughs> explain it in, in a short in a short uh, sense but essentially I feel like a lot of um, you know African and Caribbean food has been overlooked for quite some time yeah. by other communities not necessarily us but by other communities and now people are starting to look to us you know and I think um, especially with like you know trends towards eating healthier and towards superfoods now people are curious about these things that come out of Africa, like baobab or moringa or ponyo or teff, like, you right. know, these, these superfoods that are just naturally a part of our diets. I think that um, that there's like this huge opportunity for black food entrepreneurs and African food entrepreneurs who understand the market. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that in general, too, a lot of um, people in the diaspora food is important in general but especially to us like there's so much of our memories of back home right tied to our food and I think that there is a big um that there is a big push to learn more about our cultural foods where it comes from you know the things that our grandmas would make I feel like there's um more of an excitement about learning now yeah um, and I'm so I think it's great that there's podcasts like yours or like there's, you know, like things like Black Foodie out there yeah. now to help guide people. And I think it's it's funny because sometimes there are times when I think, okay, I've done all this work, there's all this information out there, like people should know more. And then, you know, like I said, I was home in Accra for um, the year of the return, which for those who don't know, is an, was an, is, I guess, an initiative by the Ghana government to connect with the African diaspora, especially, I guess this year was particularly um, significant in that it was 400 years after um, the slave trade began or the first slaves were taken out of out of Ghana. And so there's been a, a deliberate effort to connect those that left versus those that stayed to see what uh, economic opportunities there are that we can collaborate on and just culturally how we can connect. And one of the things that surprised me is when people still ask about um, food, because I was in a couple of um, different uh, groups, social groups that were formed uh, ahead of the year of return. And there were people that were mm-hmm. coming home for the first time and were asking questions that I thought just with the advent of Instagram and all these chefs and stuff that people would know. But I just, it just made me realize that there's still so much work to be done just in the basic education. Now, you and I are talking about, you know, the the further like history and research that needs to be done to discover um, more ingredients, more um, cultural practices, I guess, around our food. But even some of the basic stuff that we take for granted, it's still like people people have still yet to experience or understand. So there's there's a lot to do in this space, and there's a lot of work to be done. So which is why I'm always like I'm always happy to work with people like you or you know Dine Diaspora because I think there's a lot there's so much there's room for a lot of people to be in this space to do the things that we do because there's there's just unbelievably in my mind so much still to be done so um 
I think it's it's an exciting time to be in, in this space, I think. I agree with you. Um, it's the future is Africa. Somebody was telling us that <laughs> this food entrepreneur, actually he's a Canadian food entrepreneur who uh, has roots in Mali, is bringing superfoods here. And he was like, you know what? The future is Africa. Like, this is it. And I was like, yes. I, I believe like, it. <laughs> yes. I believe it for sure. Um, so what, so you kind of hinted as to what you're going to do um, in terms of uh, your plans for 2020, but just if you're not ready to go into specifics, generally speaking, where do you see Black Foodie going um, the next year, the next few years? What's your thoughts on the things that you could be doing, what people should be looking out for? Yeah, I definitely, I, I'm going to be doing more um, video storytelling like you know content series that really look into our culture our heritage and our stories through food mm -hmm. so I, I definitely want to open that up like I was documenting my time in Ethiopia and I never ever ever received the kind of feedback that I did on yeah. social media where like you know hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people were viewing stuff on my personal accounts where I don't have that reach, you know, on my personal yeah. um, uh, social media account. So it was, it was crazy to me. And I, I got so many messages from other Ethiopians in the diaspora saying, Hey, I didn't know that. Or, wow, thank you. Like this reminds me of, you know, this experience. And I think that so much of our memories are tied to food I and I want to help, you know, yeah, I want to help create new memories and also like bring people back to that, like feeling of home. So definitely look out for more video content and then like some, you know, larger, more impactful events that incorporate mm. all of the elements that Black Foodie celebrates. Um, so I'm really, you know, working on partnerships right now, working on, uh, you know, reaching out to the right people to get myself in the right position to, to host these um, and um, definitely trying to make more of a, um, you know, in addition to Black Foodie, just on a personal, like, for my personal brand, um, making Ethiopian spices more accessible to the public. I love Ethiopian food. Yeah. My, um, it's, I, I'll always be passionate about it. And um, I've got a unique family that's uh, been in this business for generations. Like my grandfather had a spice market. Oh. So, um, yeah, yeah. So it, that was in Eritrea when Eritrea used to be a part of Ethiopia. Oh, got it. Okay. Um, yeah, so that he, is so cool, actually. <laughs> it is. It is very cool, and I'm. I'm hoping to, you know, enter the family business, not necessarily the restaurants, but um, the the spices, bringing spice, back yeah. those flavors. That would be cool. That would be really cool, yeah. actually. Um, okay, so before we transition into the rapid fire, can you let people who don't know where they can find you online, where they can social media, website? Do you want to share your specific handles, website? Sure. So you can um, hit me up at blackfoodie.co on Instagram, blackfoodie.co on, you know, the website if you want to read some of the articles that are really dope or um, follow my personal Instagram, Eden the Foodie, at Eden the Foodie on across the board on Instagram and Twitter. Um, I share lots of funny things <laughs> as well as food things. <laughs> Uh, I, I like that one and I think like I don't want to take things like too seriously I think yeah. you know food is culture and I definitely want to share that so if you're interested in like fun food stories or like interviews mm -hmm. with chefs or um, you know learning different cultural recipes then 
um, hit me up at blackfoodie.co or eat in the foodie or both, you know, show some love. Um, <laughs> yeah. Cool. All right. Um, let's do the rapid fire segment then. Very, there's super short, easy questions. First thought that comes to your mind, you can share. Um, okay. So we'll start with easy ones and then we'll progress. So um, in terms of food, sweet or salty? Sweet. Doubles or patties? We should probably explain what that, that is to people. Yeah, doubles are uh, street food in Trinidad and I think Guyana too. And it's just basically like, you know, curry chickpeas in between two fried pieces of dough. Mm -hmm. It's really delicious with like tamarind sauce and hot pepper sauce. <laughs> I would definitely have to go with doubles. Just by the way you were describing it, I felt like you were yeah. leaning that way anyway. <laughs> Yeah, but I can't knock patties because there are some amazing patties, especially if you go to like, there are like artisan patties, you know, you can get oxtail patties and so many different crazy flavors. Yeah. I love those too. Okay. Um, red wine or white wine? Um, red. Coffee or tea? Tea. Dine it. <laughs> I should have figured. Dine in or take out? Dine in. Morning person or night person? Uh, I think I'm a night person. <laughs> okay. Then if you could live on one dish for the rest of your life, what would that be? One dish? Yeah. Oh. Um, I, I'm going to choose Kitcha Fit Fit, a dish I know most people don't know about. It, it's an Ethiopian Eritrean dish, like basically broken up pieces of like uh, homemade flatbread with drenched in Ethiopian spice butter Ooh. and Ethiopian bread butter spice. Yeah, it's crunchy. It's like super like, like not good for you, but it's delicious, <laughs> you know, it, it's not healthy at all, but it, it's really a comfort dish and it'll okay. fill you up. Cool. Yeah. yeah, I guess if it's the, the one thing uh, you're going to have, that, that sounds like it. Um, and then your favorite African restaurant anywhere in the world? My favorite African restaurant anywhere in the world? Ooh, that's a tough one. No, actually, no, it's not too tough. But <laughs> I, I, I have more restaurants to go to. So, But for now, like, they're definitely in my top five list. There's a restaurant in Montreal called Aquaba. And, oh, um, I know that's a Ghanaian. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, the owners are from Cote d'Ivoire. Oh, that's they, interesting. <laughs> yeah. And, and they basically, they, they used to live in Greece before coming to, Whoa. Uh, to Canada. Yeah, and had a restaurant there. So basically, they fuse like different West African foods oh, with see. Greek flavors. It's wow. the most, it's the strangest combination, but it really works. And they have everything from like Senegalese dishes to, you know, things from their homeland in Cote d'Ivoire to like some sort of, you know, African Greek salad that has papaya and mango. And the chef is just like, <laughs> just about it. Like he just likes to choose, you know, he doesn't want to be, you know, confined to one right. thing. And I love that. And I think that's kind of like what Canada is. You yeah. know, like you get a little bit of everything. Everything, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that is, yeah. I've made a note of it. I need to check it out the next time I'm in Montreal. That sounds so cool, actually. Yeah, 
I highly recommend so interesting. Montreal has so many great African restaurants. Yeah. Um, well, that's it. That was easy, I think. <laughs> Okay, it's been so such a pleasure chatting with you. Um, I learned so much actually myself so that are unexpected things about Ethiopian food culture. And I'm really excited for, like, I love the work that you do and I'm excited for, for what's coming this year. I'll see if I can make it to Atlanta if, if, if I get those dates out of time. But I think that would be, be great. We'll be following you to see when, uh, when those big events happen so that people can participate. But thank you so thank much. Thank you. Great. Thank you for listening to Item 13, an African food podcast. If you like the show, please subscribe, rate, and review us on your favorite podcast app. To keep up to date, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Item 13 Podcast. Thank you.